Let me begin. Uh, well, um, let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word to us. Uh, and thank you uh, that you know, we can hear of our good King Jesus and help us to uh, know him and love him today. Amen. Well, I wonder, how would you sum up the Christian faith in one to two sentences? Think about that for a moment. Uh, a sentence to sum up the Christian faith. I surveyed a few students from school and the answers have ranged. Uh, one response, Father, Son and Holy Spirit wasn't quite a sentence, uh, but it will kind of pass. Uh, others focused on Christian values, love, kindness, and community. Others highlighted important events, Jesus' death and resurrection. A few emphasized forgiveness and eternal life. As I listened to all these different responses, there was one thing that wasn't directly stated. And my guess is uh, quite a few of us might miss it too. I know that I have. A core aspect of Christian faith is not simply what Jesus Christ has done, or what we are to do, but who Jesus Christ is. Jesus Christ is God's King, who reigns now and will return to judge the living and the dead. Now maybe we don't include this in a summary of Christian faith because it's assumed, of course, of course Jesus Christ is God's King. But 1 Samuel is relentless in reminding us that the story of Jesus is not about what he has done only, but about who he is. He is God's obedient, just king who leads and loves God's people. So today as we finish this series in 1 Samuel and consider the failure of Israel's first king, we leave not lamenting in Saul, but rejoicing in Jesus Christ. So let's get into 1 Samuel 15. I don't know if you've ever had that experience of sitting down to watch TV and you select the next episode to watch. And as the episode begins to play, you think, hang on, I've, I've seen this before. I know this story. And it turns out you've accidentally clicked on an old episode. Now, it's a bit like that when you read chapter 15. You start reading it and you think, hang on, I've read this before. I, I know this episode. And in some ways, you're not wrong. For the last few chapters, we've been witnessing the fall of Saul. And our episode today is very similar to the episodes that have come before. In the previous two chapters, we've seen Saul not obey, and it's been made clear that Saul's reign was over. Sounds a little bit like chapter 15. And so why re-watch the episode? Why go over things which we already know? Because the episode today is a defining moment in Saul's reign. It encapsulates all of what his reign was like. We will see the king the people asked for fail to be the king they truly needed. Verse 1 sets up the blueprint for this king, the king that God's people need. And there's three things that we can kind of look at that are the standard by which we can judge Saul's kingship. First one reads this, Samuel said to Saul, I am the one the Lord sent to anoint you king over his people Israel. So listen now to the message from the Lord. The starting point for Saul's reign was not Saul, it was the Lord. Now at the beginning of Saul's reign, Saul probably knew this. Uh, you might remember this. When he first heard that Israel's desire was set on him to be king, he replied, am I not a Benjamite from the smallest of tribes? He got it. He was a nothing. He was a nobody. Without the Lord, he would never have been king. The Lord gave him his reign. The Lord put him on the throne. The Lord ruled over him and his circumstances. And so his reign was to be under the Lord. That was the first thing. Second, he was to rule over the Lord's people. The people were never Saul's. They were always the Lord's. 
Now, I imagine this is a pretty hard lesson for a king to learn. You know, as a king, you have great power and authority over people. It must be pretty tempting to think that they're your people. But the blueprint for this kingship is that this kingship is supremely outward focused. The people are not yours. They are the Lord's. And so the Lord deserves all honour. Finally, because the Lord's rule is over Saul, Saul's number one job was to listen to the Lord. At the core of Israel's constitution regarding the king was a simple yet profound stipulation. The king must listen to the voice of the Lord. Simple. Beautiful. Because the voice of the Lord is always good. It is a delight to the soul. It is a lamp to feet. It is sweeter than honey. The Lord's voice is worth more than all the gold in the world. It's a voice that is forever faithful and good. This was the voice that Saul was to listen to. But in our episode today, uh, the Lord's voice calls Saul to bring about justice. Verse 2 to 3, this is what the Lord Almighty says, I will punish the Amalekites for what they did to Israel when they waylaid them as they came up from Egypt. Now go, attack the Amalekites and totally destroy all that belongs to them. Do not spare them. Put to death men and women, children and infants, cattle and sheep, camels and donkeys. Even as I included those words to be read, I hesitated because they're not easy words to hear. They're really challenging. And so I thought I'll, I'll message a college friend. I actually messaged Renee, one of our student ministers. She then told one of her friends that I was asking about it. And I got sent a 23 page article <laughs> that was on just one of those words, totally destroy. Anyway, I thought I should read it. Uh, the article quoted um, early church fathers, so I think 400, AD around there, to modern day scholars, think the 2000s, 2000 years or so of scholarship have led to debate and challenge over these verses. So if these verses sit uncomfortably with you, you're in good company. Uh, it also means that I can't give a good and fair treatment to this passage this morning, at least these words, um, but you can chat to me over morning tea. I'd love to have a chat with you. But this much I know, uh, two things that we can really highlight is that one, the Amalekites who were to be destroyed were guilty. They had been Israel's enemies for a very long time, ancient enemies really. As God's people fled from Egypt many years earlier as vulnerable refugees, Amalek attacked. It's a wicked act. Today it would be a nation attacking a cluster of Ukrainian refugees. Terrible act. The Amalekites are by no means a neutral force in this story. They're guilty. The other thing to know is righteousness and justice are the foundation of God's throne. I did a little search through Psalms. Righteousness and justice, always the foundation of God's throne. But they're not just his foundation, they are also his great loves. Two things he treasures above all things, righteousness and justice. And so as challenging as God's command to Saul is, we must hold on to God's goodness even in judgment, as hard as that is to hear and contemplate. God's message to Saul as his king was to bring about God's complete justice. How does Saul go measuring up to God's king, the king that they needed? Does he listen? Does he bring justice? Does he honour the Lord above himself? Does he care for the people as though they were God's? Well, let's see how this king does. Initially, it seems Saul does okay. He gets his troops together. He gets another bunch of people called the Kenites, verse 5, to leave so that there'll be no collateral damage as they go to war. It looks like he will follow all of the Lord's commands. But after the battle, we read verse 9, But Saul and the army spared Agag 
and the best of the sheep and cattle, the fat calves and lambs, everything was good. These they were unwilling to destroy completely, but everything that was despised and weak they totally destroyed. The king did not listen to the voice of the Lord. When I say he did not listen, it does not sound all that bad. I mean, talking for myself, I don't listen to people all the time. Uh, parents and children, students and teachers, husbands and wives, work colleagues, so often, and dentists, I was thinking about that earlier today, oh, so often don't listen to my dentist. Um, but so often we don't listen. And so it can minimize not listening to the Lord. Not listening is well, it's just something that happens. It's not all that bad. But in this story, not listening to the Lord cannot be minimized. Saul's not listening is the equivalent to rejecting the word of the Lord. And for this, the Lord rejects Saul as king. Later in the chapter, which is going to come up on the screen, Saul's not listening is called rebellion and arrogance. And it's associated with divination, consulting a fake God, and idolatry, worshipping a fake God. These are the words of false religion and false gods. Not listening to God cannot be minimized. It's not like not listening to a friend. Because if you're not listening to God and taking your lead from him, then you must be listening and obeying someone else which the Bible calls idolatry. I mean, have you ever thought about it like that? I know I haven't. Have you ever thought of not listening to God as the equivalent of worshiping a fake God? King Saul does not listen. He's a king who has rejected the Lord. He's very different to another king I know, a king who is obedient to the point of death on a cross. But Saul, Saul is not the king God's people need. Well, back to the story, the word of the Lord came to Samuel in verse 10 and revealed that Saul had turned away and had not carried out the Lord's instructions. This grieved God and caused Samuel much pain. So early in the next morning, Samuel goes to meet Saul, but he cannot be found. Samuel was then told some news, which I'm sure must have broken his heart. Verse 12, Saul has gone to Carmel. There he has set up a monument in his own honour and has turned and gone down to Gilgal. Now remember back to our blueprint, it was the Lord who gave Saul his kingship. There was nothing that Saul had done to be chosen as king. He was a nothing, he was a nobody. Without God's spirit, that's what he would have remained. So when Saul wins a battle, there is only one person who deserves glory, and that's God himself. This is what God's people did in the past when they'd fought against the Amalekites. They built an altar, not to themselves, they built an altar to the Lord. But now Saul, Saul makes a monument to his own honour. Humans who know God's grace are meant to be like mirrors. You know, all glory reflects back to the God who gives and rules and saves. But now Saul is not a mirror. Saul is a terminus. Saul is an endpoint. He builds a monument to his own honour. Saul has forgotten who he is, a man who has given everything he has from God. And the results are ugly. He puts himself above the Lord. He seeks honour for his own name. Very different from another king I know. On the night of his death, would wash his disciples' feet. But Saul, Saul is not the king God's people need. When Samuel catches up with Saul, uh, Saul's greeting is actually a little bit over the top. Verse 13, the Lord bless you. I've carried out the Lord's instructions. It's kind of like Saul is trying to cover up his rebellion by an overly positive attitude. But Samuel says, what then is this bleating of sheep in my ears? What is this lowing of cattle that I hear? 
everything of the Amalekites was to be destroyed. And so the sounds of those animals are actually the sounds of rebellion. He did not listen to the voice of the Lord. What will Saul do in this situation when he's confronted with his rebellion? Again, remember back to the blueprint. The king God's people needed is a king who rules over the Lord's people. The king was to care for the Lord's people, serve the people as though they were the most important people in the universe. But how, how does Saul react when he's confronted by Samuel? He blames his people. He blames his soldiers, just like Adam and Eve did in the garden when they blamed others for their sin. Now Saul blames others for his wrongdoing. In verse 15, the soldiers brought them, the soldiers brought them from the Amalekites. They spared the best of the sheep and the cattle to sacrifice to the Lord your God. But we totally destroyed the rest. Rather than take responsibility for his people's actions and his own actions, he throws God's people under the bus. He gives them up to the judgment of God. Very different to another king I know, who is judged on behalf of his people. Saul is not the king the people need. So why did all this happen? Why did Saul rebel? Why did he not listen? I mean, I, a simple answer, in, and it's a true answer, is that Saul was sinful. His heart was broken, his desires were disordered, and, and that means that, you know, he failed. But there is more to Saul's rebellion, and it has to do with his fears. A few years ago now, I wrote a talk series on the fear of the Lord, and I learned that whatever you truly fear will rule the throne of your heart. Your fears end up controlling you. Now, I was doing youth ministry at the time, and, and so I, I surveyed the youth on what their fears were. Now, I, fear, I thought they would fear things like needles, or spiders, or clowns, or, or missing out. I even thought they might fear death, but their biggest fear turned out to be disappointing their parents. There's something for us parents to think on. The thing is, if disappointing your parents is your greatest fear, then this fear will rule you. You might hide things from your parents to protect their opinion of you. You might be worried at their displeasure. You might work incredibly hard to the point of exhaustion to achieve and earn their praise. You might be crushed when your parents are disappointed. I'm kind of making sense of how fear works. It rules you and it controls you. And this is actually what happened to Saul. Verse 24, I have sinned, he says. I violated the command and your instructions. I was afraid. I was afraid of the men, and so I gave in to them. Rather than being ruled by a perfect and loving God, Saul was ruled by flawed, foolish, and fallen men. This is not the king that God's people need. The story goes on, Samuel and Saul end up at Gilgal, and Agag, the king of the Amalekites, is brought out, and he is brought to justice. He's put to death in verse 33. But the important thing to note as we end is who brings the justice? Is it God's appointed king? No, it's not. It's Samuel. The one who, who throughout these chapters has consistently represented God. I think it's a pretty easy detail to miss. Uh, so much of the focus of these chapters is on Saul, his success and his failures. But Samuel... Samuel has always been there. Samuel was there at the beginning. Samuel was there at the end. Samuel was the one who set this king up under the Lord's word. Samuel, the bearer of God's word. Samuel, the one who really is the most like God in this story, has always been there. 
reminding us that Saul was always under the Lord's reign. And so it's fitting that Samuel, kind of like God himself, brings the justice that God desired. In the end, as Saul's kingdom ends, we are reminded that God's kingdom endures. Because God is the king who always has and always will rule this world through his word and who now rules this world through his chosen king, Jesus Christ. I'm sure it doesn't surprise you, Jesus Christ is the king we need. He listens to God the Father. He honours God above all. He rules his people with love and he fears God above all others. Jesus is the king we need. Jesus is king. This is core to our gospel message. If we assume it, if we leave it out, I fear we'll become like Saul, not listening, not honouring, and fearing others more than our good and loving King. Jesus is the King we need. So let's keep this message at the centre of our message, and let's keep Jesus as King at the centre of our lives. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your word in 1 Samuel, uh, that it it, it pushes us and forces us to see how good our Lord Jesus is as King. Uh, help us to keep the message of his kingship central to our message and help us to have Jesus as King at the centre of our lives. Amen.